0: Mark 7, 31, it says, and again, departing from the region of Tyre and Sidon, he came through the midst of the region of Decapolis to the Sea of Galilee. Then they brought to him one who was deaf and had an impediment in his speech, and they begged him to put his hand on him. And he took him aside from the multitude and put his fingers in his ears, and he spat and touched his tongue. Then looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephphatha, that is, be opened. And immediately his ears were opened and the impediment of his tongue was loosed, and he spoke plainly. Then he commanded them that they should tell no one. But the more he commanded them, the more widely they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He makes both the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. And so we see, first of all, that this reveals who Jesus is. He is the the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the Savior of the world. And in looking at this, we see the geography that Jesus travels from Tyre and Sidon to this region known as Decapolis. It literally means 10 towns. And, you know, Although it seems fairly simple, uh, you've got to kind of put yourself there. William Barclay, he's a historian. He says that this journey, because it wasn't a direct route, would take eight months to travel. And so um, we're not really sure how fast they went. Uh, we can assume that as they're on the way, Jesus would be teaching his disciples and that there would probably be a lot of other miracles that Jesus did that we don't have an account of. Uh, there's a real cool passage over in John chapter 20 in verse 30 and 31. It says, and truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. At the end of the day, you guys, that's what it's all about today, you know. When we look at Jesus healing a man who can't hear and he has a speech impediment and he does it in, in such a way, you know, sticking his fingers in his ears and, you know, spitting and touching his tongue and then looking up and, you know, just saying, be opened in Aramaic language. You look at that and you might get caught up in all that kind of stuff. And it is kind of cool, but at the end of the day, you've got to know the reason this is taking place is so that you and I would believe And as we believe, we have life in his name. That's what Jesus is doing. He's proving who he is. He is the one that the Old Testament prophesied about, the the Messiah. The Greek word is Christos. That's where we get our word Christ. He is the savior of the world and it's so cool because I know most of you here, you've given your life to Christ, man. You love him. You know he loves you. You know he died for you, that he rose again. You know who he is and you, you've given him your heart and you have life. Don't take that lightly. You know, we have it now and one day we'll be home in heaven forever and ever and ever. So we're still here because God's working on us and God wants to use us to help others have life that's why we see this miracle take place jesus is proving who he is you know last week we studied how jesus cast out the demon from the daughter from a distance i mean all he did was think it and the the demon was gone right that's a sign that's a sign that he's the savior here we see jesus healing a man who is deaf and has a speech impediment And again, all it is in in one is there's a revelation of who he is. I, I like the way Mark puts it. Mark 735 in the NLT, it says instantly the man could hear perfectly and his tongue was freed so he could speak plainly. I mean, don't you guys appreciate the ability to hear? I mean, I love music. How many of you here, you love music? You know, one of these days, I want you guys to email me your favorite, like, musician or song, and we're going to play some of the music you guys like, as long as it's cool, you know? I mean, you can could, you could just, man, music is, to me, is so powerful, you know? And so, you know, the ability to hear your, your children speak, your wife. I mean, the ability to hear uh, someone preach the word. I mean, the, the blowing of the wind. I mean, I wake up in the morning and I'm always praying and thanking God for the birds that are singing. And then if I just pause for a moment, I can hear them. I mean, this guy, he, he couldn't hear. This guy, he, he couldn't speak. He had this speech impediment. And so Jesus comes and he, and he heals him. How did he do it? You know, like I said, it was pretty uh, unorthodox and, you know, just the touching his ears and, and spitting. How many of you ladies are okay with that, you know? Well, Jesus did it, so you got to feel okay with it, you know. But, um, you know, it's interesting. When you look at this whole account, Matthew tells us it wasn't just this man. In Matthew 15 and verse 30, this same incident says, Great multitudes came to him, having with them the lame, blind, mute, maimed, and many others. And they laid them down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them. And so, sign after sign after sign after miracle after miracle after miracle, right? And, and, and when you look at this, that's what Jesus is trying to communicate, who he is. You know, something that's really fascinating, I found it interesting, is the Greek word speaking of this man's speech impediment, right here in Mark 7, is not found anywhere else in the Bible, but it is found in the Septuagint, which is the Greek version of the Old Testament. And it's only found one time over in the book of Isaiah. And when you look at that passage, as a matter of fact, let's turn there real quick. Uh, keep a marker here in Mark 7, and then go to Isaiah chapter 35, if you would, because this is where this same word is found. In Isaiah 35 and verse 3, it says, strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are fearful-hearted, be strong and do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer and the tongue of of the dumb, same Greek word, the mute man, will sing. For waters shall burst forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. I mean, in one sense, that's who Jesus was. He was like a stream in the desert, he's like waters in the dry and dusty wilderness where there is no water. Because here we see Jesus performing the miracles that were prophesied regarding the Messiah that would one day come. And it says right there that he would come. He says, you know, you find yourself weak, your hands are weak, and your your knees are are, are not able to stand, and your heart is fearful. He says, no, be strong, do not fear, because uh, Jesus is coming. And what we find in the New Testament is Jesus has actually fulfilled this. And he gives us glimpses of glory when he came and he did what he did. One person said it's a passage promising the coming of God's rule on earth. This promise, intervention, was already taking place in Jesus' ministry. And when you look at the Lord, and I encourage you guys, uh, when you would read the book of Acts, What the apostles would do is they would go to the different synagogues, they would go to the churches or wherever they would go, and the primary message that they would be sharing is he's the one that fulfilled the Old Testament prophecies. He's the Messiah spoken of in Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53. You know, he's the one described in Genesis chapter 3 when this one was going to be born of a virgin. Isaiah 7, 14. Micah 5, chapter 5, verse 2, that he'd be born in Bethlehem. I mean, all the different prophecies pointing to the one that would one day come and that would save us from our sins. This is what he'll do. He'll make the lame walk and the blind to see and the the dumb will sing the deaf will hear. And so you fast forward 700 years, there's Jesus doing exactly that. There's Jesus doing what no man has ever done before and since. And so for us, what it is, and we've got to make sure that we don't miss this as we're going through it, is overwhelming evidence that he is the Messiah. You see, in looking at this, it reveals uh, who Jesus is. You know, it's interesting. Uh, the miracle is recorded only by Mark here in Decapolis. And it would be especially appreciated by his Roman readers because the the region right here, this area, was known as uh, a Rome away from Rome. That's what they used to say about Decapolis. And so Mark, in writing to Rome, writing to Romans, they would appreciate this, you know? And I think for us, it's applicable in the sense that Whatever you do, understand, although that Israel is God's special people in the sense that they are a sign to the world, in the sense that through them came the scriptures, through them came the Savior, do you guys know, though, that it's not just the Jews that God loves? you guys know that he loves everyone? 2 Peter 3.9, the Bible says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Aren't you guys glad that he loves you know, Asians and Mexicans who like chorizo tortas. And, I mean, you know, I mean, I'm just so grateful for that. The Romans would say, wow, he's doing miracles in the Rome away from Rome. And for us, it's in Almania, it's in Mexico, it's in Cambodia, it's in Nepal. It's everywhere. You know, so number one, it shows us who he is. Number two, it reveals how Jesus works. Now, in reading this account, you have to admit that the way Jesus healed him was different. I mean, we can at least use the word "different," right? I mean, we're going to see five things as far as revealing how Jesus works. Number one, differently. Look again there in verse 32. It says, "They brought to him one who was deaf and had a speech impediment and had an impediment in his speech, and they begged him to do what? to put his hand on him." He said, Jesus, can you just kind of like touch him? Because I know if you just touch him, then he'll be cool. He'll be healed. That's all you need to do, right? And we know Jesus could have healed him without even touching him at all, right? We know that. I mean, it could have been just a simple thought from the throne room of his heart, and, and the guy would have been healed, right? But Jesus, what does he do? He takes him aside. He puts his fingers in his ears. Think about that. And then he spits on his own fingers, he touches his tongue, and he speaks in the Aramaic language, right? Ephatha, be opened, and immediately the Bible says that his ears were opened, the bondage of his tongue was broken, literally in the Greek, that's what it says, and he spoke plainly. And so for us, I think it's helpful to read through the scriptures and notice that Jesus, when he worked and when he healed, he always did it differently. He did. You know, one of the things you'll notice is that he didn't have a routine in the way that he healed people. He did it individually. He did it personally. He did it creatively. And I think one of the reasons he did that is because he wanted to make sure that we don't get stuck in the patterns that we tend to create, the ruts and the routines for healing or even for ministry. We always have to be open to the way that God would lead us to do ministry. You know, if Jesus did it always the same way, then we would always emulate that particular pattern, right? But the thing about it is as we're sensitive to the Holy Spirit, as we're open to Him, then He might say, well, I want you to do it this way next time, even though last time it worked the other way. And God is just like that, right? I mean, you know, I think more than anything else in looking at this, uh, the way that he did it differently, is he wants us not to emulate the pattern, but to emulate his heart, which leads us to the second point, and that he did it not only differently, number two, he did it compassionately. Compassionately. That is one common denominator in all the healings of Christ. You guys know, huh, how Jesus loved the people, and he cared for every single one of them, right? I mean, he was compassionate, and even here we see that in the way that he, he took them aside from the multitude. The NLT says he led them away from the crowd so they could be alone. You know, and just as a quick side note, you're here and you're in a congregation, you know, you live in a world of whatever, six billion people, and a lot of times we don't realize how personal God is, but he is, and I've seen it day after day in my life. I think the the way that you'll discover how personal God is is number one, by reading the Bible. Number two, by listening, by watching, by opening your eyes in life. And you next thing you know, you you hear him speaking to you and you see little signs that he does just for you. So he pulls him away from the multitude because he wants to deal with him individually. It was a... It was tender, it was uh, compassionate, it was considerate. William Barclay said in some ways it's more embarrassing to be deaf than it is to be blind. Because he said a deaf person knows he cannot hear and when he sees the people all around him sometimes shouting from a crowd trying to make him hear, then he's aware of that and he feels even more helpless. Jesus here showed the most tender consideration for the feelings of that man. And he takes him aside because he knew that life was difficult for him. You see, and, and when we're looking at the, who Jesus is, he's the Messiah, and then how Jesus is, how he works these works, number one, differently, number two, compassionately, it, it just shows us who God is and even how we should be as well. You know, something interesting there in, in verse 34, it says, looking up to heaven, he sighed. He sighed. You know? Let's all sigh real quick. You guys know, I mean, the Bible it specifically points out the fact that he sighed. And um, the, the Greek word is also translated groan. I mean, when do we normally sigh? We normally sigh when we're, we're sad, right? We moan and we groan. Usually, when we're in pain, right? And one translation even says that it was a deep sigh that Jesus gave here, or he sighed deeply in his spirit. We'll read that in Mark chapter 8, verse 12. And, and, and I think that his sigh reflected the compassion for the man, and he just was caught up in, in the motion. You know, and I think that even though the Lord himself didn't experience the sin or sickness that we ha- experience, He entered into our sorrows. And he he felt the things that we felt in so many ways. And him being God, it hurt. And you guys going through hard times. You guys going through struggles. You know, that's life because we live in a broken world. I don't want to water it down because for some, I I see some people go through things and I just think, Lord, how, how horrendous. That is, And some people, they even walk away from God because life gets so bad. But you got to know that for every tear you cry, he cries a thousand more. And, and when he sees our sorrows, you, you got to know that he feels it and, and he groans and he sighs because he's a compassionate God. We need to remember we have a God that groans. We have a Savior that sighs. Because he became a man and he knows what we are feeling. He knows when we're down and out, when we're hurting. As a matter of fact, in John 11, verse 33, it's interesting. It says, Therefore, when Jesus saw her, uh, Mary, she was weeping at the death of of her brother, and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. He was sorrowing, he was groaning because he saw the pain that she was experiencing at the death of her brother. But then later, in John 11:38, 38, Jesus again groaning in himself, he came to the tomb. Now Jesus is groaning because he himself is feeling not just the pain of someone else, but his own pain at the death of his friend, Lazarus. You know, Warren Wiersbe said, the sigh was an inward groan. Our, our Lord's, compassionate response to the pain and sorrow sin has brought into the world it was also a prayer to the father on behalf of the handicapped man and we'll see that in just a second but you know you guys it's not just somebody you know okay working through some type of uh you know i don't know those lines you know taking care of business you know no, uh, no conveyor belt okay healing people no that's not the god that we serve He knows the things that we go through and He enters into our sorrows. He's doing these works differently, compassionately. Another thing that's interesting, number three, is He does the works cooperatively. This is very important. How many of you here want to see miracles? I mean, you want to see God move. And I don't know what it is in your life that you need or there's someone that's heavy on your heart that you want God to move in their life and heal You know, I think of James, I think of Mercy, I think of different people that are battling sicknesses and cancers. And I mean, I just am praying, I'm crying out for God to heal them. You know, it's important for us to know uh, part of it is that we have a God that works with us in conjunction with our faith. It's cooperatively. You know, when you look at this story right here, there's no denying the fact that Jesus is fanning the faith of the man who is to be healed. And even all the other people that were perhaps watching this whole thing take place. You know, we don't know for certain, but, you know, maybe, I don't know how it all started. Hey, maybe they wrote it down right here in the dirt or some type of a, you know, canvas. We're going to take you to a man that wants to heal you. You know, I don't know. So anyways, uh, he goes and everyone's watching this take place. And so the man has it stirring in his heart, right? I, I hope I can get healed. And then he meets Jesus, and then Jesus takes him aside, indicating, okay, now I'm going to be dealing with you. I'm focusing on you, right? And he puts his fingers in his ears. Now, come on, think about that. Don't you think that's a little weird? Come on, let me do that to you after service today and see how many of you slap me, you know? I mean, he put his fingers in his ears. What's he saying to him? I'm going I'm I'm to... Deal with your ears. And then again, he spit, like we talked about, and who knows what that spit looked like. And then he open your mouth, you know, and he, and he touches his tongue. You know, I mean, and they say the afatha, the that, that, that Aramaic word, a lot of the teachers were saying that that was easily read, because undoubtedly when you're deaf, you got to know they read lips. He knew what he said, even though he didn't hear it. And he's looking up, that's the way Jesus would pray, we'll see that in a second. All this is doing what? It's stimulating the faith of the man. There's no doubt about it, that nine times out of 10, when God does miracles, he does it in cooperation with our faith. And God will do little signs and miracles and things will happen in our life that will stir that up, but we have to pay attention, right? I mean, I don't know how you guys feel about this whole thing, but, you know, I mean, here's Jesus taking him aside, putting his fingers in his ears, honing in on them, and he spits. Ladies probably struggle, but guys are okay with it. And then, you know, you're wondering, well, um, was this the only time Jesus spat? As a matter of fact, he, Jesus spit other times. In Mark 8:23, he took the blind man by the hand, he led him out of town, and when he had, this one says he spit on his eyes. And then it says that he put his hands on him. Now, that's interesting. John 9, verse 6, it says he spat on the ground and he made clay with the saliva and then he anointed the the, the man's eyes, right? And the thing about it is this, and who knows if there's truth to it or not, but they said that there was healing. They believed in that culture that there was healing power in someone's saliva, okay? That's what they believed. Uh, one commentator said it was not uncommon in Judaism of the day to associate curative powers with a person's saliva. And so, all that to say, in one sense, you have sign language in the fullest sense of the word, right? I mean, it was symbolic acts that uniquely suited the man's needs and caused him to exercise faith. You know, And we got to know, you guys, uh, I mean, it's not always God's will to heal on this side of time. If you're a Christian, He's either going to heal you here or there. So we have confidence in that, right? But sometimes it is God stirring up our faith because He wants to do a miracle. And I've seen it over the years. Many, many people get healed. And God's working and God's drawing out their faith. We see it throughout the Gospels. You know, God does his part, we do ours. We need to believe in order to receive, right? That's what Jesus said in Matthew 9, 29. According to your faith, let it be to you. According to your faith. Mark 9, 23, Jesus said to him, If you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. And so there is an element there that we have to understand Jesus is trying to work within us. Warren Wiersbe said this, since the man was deaf, he could not hear our Lord's words, but he could feel Jesus' fingers in his ears and the touch on his tongue. And this would encourage the man's faith. You know, and I don't know how, if you guys have ever experienced that, but I, let me just say something to you right now, okay? The Lord is always talking to you. He's always talking to you. Little signs, little things. I'm not talking about mystical Christianity. I'm talking about personal Christianity, especially when you're going through hard times or especially when you have to make big decisions. What I want to encourage you to do is to listen with all of your heart. You know, a while back, um, we were, we were wanting to make a, a decision on whether or not we should go forward with this, uh, uh, I don't know, this celebration. And it was gonna be really expensive. And so my, my wife and I, we went looking at different venues, right? And for me, you know, I don't, I don't wanna spend money outside of God's will in any way. You know, so anyways, uh, we're looking at this one particular venue and as we're you know, getting the prices and, and looking and weighing everything out, we come out of the room, and it, it is, it's crazy. You know. Out of all names that this room can be named, and we're talking about, we've called venues all around Southern California. We ended up in this one. We're looking at this one room, and I'm thinking, I don't know if we should do this or not. But out of all the, the names, that room could be named. You know what is named? The El Monte room. We came back, and we're like, the El Monte room? That's weird. But, you know, again, I'm not a mystical. I'm not going to make a decision right there and then. You know, I'm like, okay, maybe it's a coincidence. So you know what I did? I said, God, I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to keep praying. And then the Lord put someone on my heart. He said, I want you to call so-and-so and get counsel from him. Ask him what he thinks about this whole thing. And so I didn't. I didn't call this guy. But you know what ended up happening? Is he called me. He never calls me, never, but he calls and he hung up. And so I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm like, okay, I guess I'll call him back. I said, hey, did you call me? He's all, yeah, I did it by accident. (laughs) I'm like, okay, well, I got to ask you a question here, man, because I am listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit, and I'm trying to make a decision here. And here's this room is called Almani, and here I'm wanting to call you, but I don't, and you end up calling me by accident. Well, let me ask you this question: What do you think about this? And he gave me the most wonderful answer in the whole world that gave me a peace inside of my heart that I could go ahead and take this step of faith. You see, God will do different things in our life in order to stimulate our faith, little signs. That he's guiding us, that he's speaking to us. I remember when we first started the church in Almani, and I can just tell you a million different things. And, you know, don't get me wrong, whatever you do, don't become a mystical Christian who does things that are against God's word because they got, you know, some fuzzy feeling inside or what they considered a sign. Some people will get divisive in a church because they got mystical. No, you don't sin. You get a divorce from your wife because the Lord showed you this. No, I'm not talking about going against the word. But I'm talking about when you're trying to make decisions that are lined up in scripture, it's then that he will guide you. I remember before the church in Almani ever started, I remember going over a friend's house. We were praying and I'm like, I don't know what to do. God, lead me. God, guide me because I don't know if this is your will. I don't want to go outside of your will. And I still remember just we were just saturated in a time of beautiful prayer, and then I looked up, and outside of his window there was a big truck, and it said Almani on it. Right, right there and then. Now you know, usually God won't speak audibly, although He can, but He will show you signs. It won't be a slam dunk, but it will be signs that will move you to take steps of faith because it's still faith. And that's the way he works. Sticking his fingers in his ears, spitting on his fingers and touching his tongue and all that kind of stuff because all that is part of God, the way that he works cooperatively with us, you see? And so I encourage you guys Just be blessed, take steps of faith, listen to the voice of God. We see Jesus working differently, compassionately, cooperatively. Number four is prayerfully, prayerfully, because we read that there in verse 34. Then looking up to heaven, looking up, that's what we got to do, right? You know, usually when we pray, we do the exact opposite, right? We bow our heads and we close our eyes. But Jesus would frequently look up to heaven, eyes open. That's the way the Jews would pray. He did for sure. Undoubtedly, what? Focused on his Father, right? We read that in Mark 6.41. We studied that. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven You read it in John 11, verse 41. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying and Jesus lifted up his eyes. We read it in John 17, verse 1. Even when he was praying his high priestly prayer, kind of by himself, the Bible says, then Jesus spoke these words, and he lifted up his eyes. You guys, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what the situation is, but can I ask you this question? Are you looking up? Are you, are you praying? We talked about that last week, how the Syrophoenician woman prayed with passion. Are you looking up? That's the key. You know, when the outlook is bleak, try the uplook, right? When you're done playing, then you have to finally start praying. When you realize that the help of man is useless, then open your heart to the help that God provides because i don't know about you but the things that i want to do in my life and the things that i want god to do in the life of my children in my family in the flock are things that only god can do that's what i want and that's why i have to look up to god the help that he provides, right? Psalm 121, I I mean, I just can't help but think of that psalm. It's the song of ascents. When they're going up to Jerusalem, he says, I will lift my eyes to the hills from whence comes my help. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He's our helper. You guys, when people pray, when churches pray, when families pray, when ministries pray, they will see God work. And that's how Jesus worked. He, he looked up. He prayed and God answered. You know, in looking at our study, I think it reveals who Jesus is. He's the Messiah. It reveals how Jesus works. We have four things so far. We'll see one more later. And then number three, it reveals something about us. You know, and, and you guys have to give me a little bit of uh, uh, freedom here, if you would. You're probably already going to stone me for my political stance or maybe for reading the wrong chapter when we started the study today. But here is something you've got to go a little deeper, a little deeper. You know, because when you read different teachers touching on this subject here, this whole passage, uh, most of them will point out the fact that we all need Jesus to heal our speech impediment. All of us here. You know, we, we all need that. It reveals something about us, and that is that in order to speak right, we need to hear right. See, they brought to him one who was deaf and had an impediment in his speech. And and you guys are probably aware of this. It's a a biological fact that um, defective speech usually results from defective hearing. And that's true physically, and it's true spiritually. You know, uh, this guy right here, he he could hardly talk when translation says. he had difficulty speaking. You know And in, in reading this passage right here, I, I think most of us would probably initially say that this problems that this guy had are in no way related to me, but I would venture to say that it, that it is that almost all of us here need the power of God to touch our tongue. I want his saliva on my tongue. I want his words in my mouth. I, I think we all need that. You know, we need the power of God in order to be able to speak the, 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 the word of God. And in order to have that, we need to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. I mean, can you hear the voice of the Holy Spirit? Can you hear God speaking to you? Because let me tell you something. He doesn't need mediators he can speak directly to your heart if you would just listen, and listening is the key. I really think it's the key. That's why we have two ears, right, guys, and one mouth. And you're like, no, it just looks better. Ah, it's only because you're used to it. I mean, if God originally made us with like a little hearing piece right here, we would all just be used to that, right? Did you guys ever see that one Twilight Zone? No, I'm just joking. <laughs> No, God, come on. It's obvious. He's making a statement. And if you haven't learned that yet, then you're not grown up. You got to listen a lot more than you speak. You got to think twice before you speak, right? The Bible says that every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, right? I mean, I wonder if any of us would be honest and admit, Lord, I have a speech impediment, you know? And, and here's the thing. It might mean that you are one of those who says mean things. That's not right. You have a speech impediment. Please know that that is not cool with your creator. We need to say the right words at the right time in the right way, with the right tone of voice and tact. Maybe you're one of those who says things in a mean way and you need the Lord to touch you. Or, or I know some people who they, they lie so naturally, so flippantly and constantly. If you're here today and you're one of those liars, please understand that liars don't go to heaven. That lies are the language of Lucifer. You need God to heal your speech impediment You know, there are those who who are supposed to speak God's word, God's love, as God's man or God's messenger, but you don't. You don't. You never say anything about Jesus to anyone. You never ever ever open your lips and just share the Lord with those who don't desperately need Him, and, and you have a speech impediment. It's like, the truth is, you don't dare because you don't care. You need the Lord to work, right? And, And that's the sin of silence. We need the Lord to use us to live the life and to have the lips that would honor Him. And I'm not saying that to beat you guys up. Hopefully, if it's applicable to you in any way, I pray, myself included, that it would wake us up to the fact that God wants us to speak. And he can give us the courage and clarity in our conversation. You know, I want to encourage you guys even to look at the example of Moses, one of the greatest spokesmen ever in the Bible, who was sent by God to speak God's word, and he, and he wasn't able to do it on his own. You guys remember in Exodus 4, in verse 10, the Bible says, And Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither before nor since. You have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. And a lot of people believe that means he had a, a stammer or a stutter. He, you know, like that, I c- can't talk. And so the Lord said to him, well, who has made man's mouth? Or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall say. You know, there are people in your life that you work with that are your friends that all they need to hear from your lips is the name of Jesus and their hearts will melt but you don't speak his name. Maybe you're thinking, well, I'm not good enough. None of us are. Well, I can't. I'm not eloquent. I don't have all the answers. None of us do. Take it one step at a time. And you watch what God will do. Praise God, Moses eventually went and spoke. And the reason is because he listened to the Lord. (laughs) And I believe that God will lay things on your heart, what to share and how to share, when and who to. And as you listen to the Bible generally, and his spirit personally then what you'll find is is that that hearing that gets healed will then equate into a speaking that gets healed you know sometimes we don't speak when we should and then there's times when we speak and we shouldn't (laughs) and that's what they did there in verse 36 notice again Then he commanded them that they should tell no one. Okay, have you ever had, God says, okay, don't say anything to your wife or your husband or whatever. And then you do. Have you guys ever done that? (laughs) Well, the Lord here said, don't tell anyone. It says, but the more he commanded them, the more widely they proclaimed it. How many of us can relate to that in (laughs) marriage? But anyways, the Lord here said, don't tell anybody about what's going on right here because it's not my day. There would be a specific day that he revealed himself as the Messiah, and it would hinder ministry, according to Mark 1, 44 through 45. But they went and they did whatever they wanted to do. It's a lesson for us. It's not right. But at the end of the day, we read in verse 37, and they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. And I highlighted that in my Bible because really that's what Jesus does. He makes both the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. Remember I was giving you earlier that way that Jesus works differently, compassionately, cooperatively, prayerfully, and here's the fifth thing, wonderfully. He does all things well. And when he does, the people are just blown away with the things that God has done. You know, in closing, you guys, uh, just to let you know, a lot of Bible teachers they see a link between this statement about Jesus and what he was doing then, and the seven statements in Genesis in the very beginning, when God made everything, all the universe, the galaxies, the earth, the creatures, when he made man in his image, it was all good. We read in Genesis chapter one, verse thirty-one, that it was even very good. And what you see at the end of the day is when Jesus came, bringing healing to men's bodies and salvation to their souls. He had begun the work of creation in one sense all over again. You know, in the beginning, everything was good, but man's sin messed it all up. So now he comes back, and the beauty of God, the wonder of God, begins to work again, and he does all things well, see? And when you look at the Lord and these beautiful stories, you get glimpses of glory. You get glimpses of it, right? In the land of the Lord, our home in heaven, I don't know about you guys, I look forward to it, no more suffering or sickness, because there'll be no more sin, no more defeat, because there'll be no more devil, there'll be no more death. You guys look forward to heaven? It's going to be cool. Chorizo tortas are going to be good for you, man. (laughs) Pizza. Jesus came to us with hints of heaven on earth. He came to reveal who he was. He came to us so that we would come to him. And I know most of you here have already done that. But just in case you're here and you've never done that, I pray that today would be that day where you come to the love of Jesus Christ. You see, we've all sinned and we fall short of the glory of God. And what that sin does is it separates us from Him. But He came and He died on a cross for our sins. So that as you place your faith in Jesus, as you believe in Jesus, then you can experience the freedom the forgiveness, the salvation, the life that only he can give. But you got to make that step of faith. Remember that passage I read to you earlier and truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not written in the book but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God and that believing you may have life in His name, do you really know the Lord? Are you sure? If not, I pray that today you would take that step of faith. And we all know what would be so cool is just like we saw this guy get healed in the Bible. You will be healed today of your sin.